Hi. Uh, like Matt said, uh, my name is Jake, and I want to welcome you here, if you're new, uh, to the end of our Proverbs series. So we've been going week by week into a different area of God's wisdom for our lives, and this week we're going to wrap it all up by talking about speech. And if you know me, you know I like talking. Um, when I'm not here, uh, like Matt mentioned, I'm a philosophy and political science student up at SFU, and I, I coach and uh, do competitive debate. So maybe you like thinking about pro sports or what you're doing in your garden this summer. I like thinking about speeches. Um, and I like thinking about particularly speeches that change uh, everything. So I like thinking about um, recently uh, Obama's 04 Democratic National Convention speech. Uh, in 2004, no one really knew or cared who Barack Obama was. He was just a, a young, sharp, black senator with a funny-sounding name to most people. Um, but, but he came in and did this keynote at the Democratic National Convention and lit the room ablaze. Everyone was wondering, who is this guy? And that conversation that he sparked with that speech paved the way for him to win the presidency in 2008. I think when we think of speeches, those are the sorts of speeches we think about. Or when we think of important words, those are the sorts of things we think about. I'm not giving a keynote that's going to land me in the Oval Office, Jacob. My words aren't really that important. If that's where you're coming in today, um, the word from Proverbs for us is that our words are far more consequential than any presidential speech because your words importantly, profoundly impact the destination of your soul. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray and we're going to get rolling. Father, we need your wisdom today so that we can abandon our foolish words and embrace your wise word. Uh, help us all with that. Help me with that now as I teach so that we can all better enjoy the life that you have for us by your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into it. Um, we're going to be camping in Proverbs 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip or scroll to that. Uh, Proverbs 18 uh, has, has a verse that will especially ground our time, and that's Proverbs 18.21. We have it up on the screen here. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Our speech is powerful, according to this writer of Proverbs. And they're saying the stakes are high. Life or death, those are the outcomes of your speech. Um, I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So what does it look like to choose death with our tongues? And, and how do we go about choosing life? Well, that's what we're going to explore in, in Proverbs 18 today through two kinds of people. Uh, two people we've heard a lot about in the book of Proverbs, the foolish person and the wise person. Those are the, the two kinds of speakers we're going to look at today. And as we examine them, we're going to ask two questions. The first is, how do they use their speech? And the second question is, what is the result of their speech? How do they use their speech and what is the result of their speech? Uh, let's start by examining the fool with these questions. And, and the main takeaway I want us to take from here is that foolish speech results in conflict. When we think of foolish speech, uh, it's easy to think of people who talk themselves into trouble. 
The kind of person uh, that's described in verses six and seven of our passage. It says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. We think of the movie villain who's gloating once they've got the hero tied up about their evil plan, only to realize that the hero was wearing a wire and that evil monologue is a one-way ticket to prison. We think of, of the kid who snaps at their parents and loses their screen time for a week. Foolish talkers talk themselves into trouble. We know this on the surface, but Proverbs invites us into a deeper understanding of how that works and what that looks like. So let's ask our two guiding questions to shape our examination of the fool. The first one is, how does a fool use their speech? And the answer we get from Proverbs and the Bible is that fools use their speech for their own glory. Uh, Fools try to get glory from their speech in at least two ways that we're going to look at. Uh, One is that fools talk to control how they look. And the second is that fools talk to control their situation. Uh, Firstly, let's look at how fools talk to control how they look. We see it right away in our passage, right in the first two verses. Um, Verses 1 and 2 of Proverbs 18 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Uh, This proverb sets up a contrast between the words a fool does and doesn't desire. The fool doesn't desire words of sound judgment and understanding. They don't desire the words of truth. In fact, they rebel against it and run away from it because, frankly, they don't desire wisdom. Now, on the other hand, we see the words that a fool does desire, and that's his opinion. That's what he wants to make much of. That's what he wants to bask in and express. Why is that, do you think? Well, it's because we love the feeling of being right. But we don't actually like whether people are, if people are evaluating whether or not we are right. See, fools love feeling wise and, and looking wise, but they don't actually love being wise. And thing about that is those priorities turn fools into superficial people who only like words that can make them look good. This superficial use of speech, it becomes really obvious when we think about social media. Have you ever thought deeply about what social media is at its core? Um, Whether it's Facebook or Instagram, whatever the medium, these platforms create spaces for us to say what we want to say and hear what we want to hear from who we want to hear it from. Uh, According to Nick Funnel, writing for The Economist, he says, social media companies give you personally tailored content that make you feel safe and confident, and importantly for these services, keep you engaged on their sites for longer. It's a great business model, if you think about it, Uh, echoing our opinions back to us, Because then we feel safe and confident there. We feel wise and right. So we stay there basking in the words we like and they make more money advertising to us. Really, it's a great business model. 
but, but these social media companies, they've created big problems for us as a society. When you think about the amount of people addicted to their phones in ways that are debilitating their mental health, you don't have to take my word for it. A lot of these executives of these social media companies, they don't let their kids use their platforms because they know the effects that these apps have on their minds. And we can link social media to invasions of privacy and interference in foreign elections. The problems go on. So why don't we push back on any of these social media companies? Well, the question is answered right in our passage. Proverbs 18, 2. We take pleasure in expressing our opinion. So we post to make our thoughts and our lives look enviable, hoping others are going to like and share our content to distract us from how discontent we are. Social media is designed to help us feel glorious, and we love it. I'm not saying that social media is necessarily sinful, okay? I'm not saying thou shalt not selfie. That's not the point. <laughs> but if it does give us a window into foolish speech, doesn't it? When we think about what these platforms do, they profit off of promoting our words and we don't question us because they give us what we want. The feeling of looking glorious and wise to ourselves and those around us. And if we're not careful, the foolish speech that they profit off of, whether it's online or offline, it's going to continue to harm us. So, so firstly, fools use speech to control how they look, to make them look good. The second kind of foolish speech, it might seem a little less intuitive, but it is just as destructive. Fools talk to control their situation. Fools think that their words have the power to create ideal life circumstances, everything that they want. Whether you describe this as the name it and claim it movement or, or putting positive vibes out into the universe because you get back what you give, you know, whatever you call it, the central claim is that our words can further our desires for our lives. Listen to how a prosperity gospel preacher, Joel Osteen, puts it. He says, you may have been snared in the past, trapped by your words, but I believe this is a new day. I declare you're coming out of that trap. Every chain is being loosed. Every stronghold is coming down. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Now you've got to do your part. Start speaking victory over your life. Speak increase. Dare to declare God's favor. Be bold to call in those things you're dreaming about, those things you're believing for. Here's the kicker. Don't use your words to describe the situation. Use your words to change the situation. Let's be clear. The power to get the life that you're longing for, what you're hoping for, it's not in you or your words. It's God who has the power. And he uses that power to bring about genuine hope and healing, not through a bigger paycheck, but through the cross of Christ. And God does want us to come to him with our words, but they're not words like Osteen's. They're not words demanding material prosperity on our terms. We must approach God with words of humble prayer, seeking his will for our lives, not our own. So whether we are trying to control how we look or control our life situation, both of these ways are centered on a pursuit of our glory that God calls foolish. So what's the result 
then of this foolish speech? Why is it so bad? Well, the answer is unanimous across scripture. Foolish speech results in conflict. And there are two kinds of conflict that foolish talk will breed. The first is uh, conflict with other people. And the second is conflict with God. In terms of conflict with other people, We've seen this crop up in our passage already, right, right at the top there. Uh, the first verse of Proverbs 18, we see how the fool lashes out against sound counsel. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When the fool is, is confronted with words of wisdom, they get defensive. And this is why you, you see fools pulling themselves back from meaningful, involved, mature Christian community. Because, man, why would I put myself in a position for someone to give me feedback? <laughs> why, would I, why would I let them speak words into my situation? They might, they might tell me I'm wrong. They, they don't want that deep, involved exchange that can sharpen them and spur them towards wisdom. They want their own opinion. In verses six and seven, we found that fools talk themselves into conflict with those around them. Uh, It said, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. There are many mouthy people who get themselves hurt because they do not know when to stop talking. Um, In Hong Kong, as everywhere else in the world, Avengers Endgame screened earlier this year. Uh, You probably heard about it, uh, the culmination of 10 years and 21 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Avengers Endgame was the climax of this whole big story. And in Hong Kong, there's a guy who watched the movie. He walked out in front of a crowd full of people who were also waiting to watch the movie, and he yelled spoilers at them. What do you think happened? They beat this guy so hard, I'm pretty sure they got like, prizes at the movie theater arcade. The idea here being, I'm not encouraging you to beat fools, okay? I'm a pacifist. I'm not going to hit somebody. You shouldn't hit anybody. But the idea here is Proverbs is warning us that we could talk ourselves into a beating, and this is not the opportunity to try and prove God wrong. We know that Scripture encourages us to abandon foolish speech because it hurts us in our daily lives, but it also hurts in the church specifically. When Paul is talking to the Colossian church, spurring them on to to unity and purity for the glory of God, he says this in Colossians 3, uh, verses 8 to 10. But now you must put your sinful conduct all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul's saying that our new life in Christ, this knowledge we've been given, it's not, it's not compatible. It doesn't line up with foolish speech. So whether it's lying or slander or gossip or boasting or over-talking, whatever it is, This foolish speech breeds conflict that fractures community, and it should not belong in the church. But this isn't the only church that's ever had that problem. Tri-City, 
if we are not careful about our speech, we will talk ourselves into oblivion like countless fools that have gone before us. So it's, it's true that fools talk themselves into conflict generally with others. But the greater conflict that foolish words causes is conflict with God himself. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here, God is making explicit what we all know, right? We speak out of the overflow of our hearts. Our speech is centered on our glory because our hearts are centered on our glory. Our speech is considered evil because our hearts are treasuring what is, what is evil, what is rebellious to God. And treasuring words that have been rebellious to God, that's the same thing that's been done since the garden, right? Adam and Eve were encountered by Satan who twisted the words of God. And what did he appeal to them with? He said, listen to me, do, do, eat this fruit. So you will be like God. They wanted glory. And because they didn't treasure the words of God, because they wanted the words that would make much of them, they ate the fruit. God judged them guilty and they were sent out from the garden. Right? Foolish words being condemned by God, that's not an overreaction by him. He wasn't overreacting by kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden. He's not overreacting by telling us what's so wrong with foolish speech here. He's telling us that it's, it's so linked to what's going on in our hearts and that foolish speech is a mutiny against God. That's what our key verse is getting at. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Trusting in foolish words, it brought death for Adam and Eve. And if we're not careful, foolish words will be the death of us too. So do we heed this caution from Proverbs? Do we recognize our tongues as small rudders on the ship of our soul that are big enough to steer us into destructive conflict with God and with those around us? Really practically, when was the last time you took stock of your speech? How often are you lying, big or little? How often are you gossiping, boasting, over-talking, or, or any of the other types of speech that Scripture considers foolish? Maybe that's resulting in obvious conflict for you in community. But maybe you're a little too slick for that. Maybe your, your words of foolishness play out differently like making much of yourself on, on social media so that you look and feel glorious in the eyes of those around you and in your own eyes. Maybe you're so busy talking about your future that you're not praying, asking God to do you, his will for your life and not your own. Proverbs 18 is challenging us to consider carefully our speech this week because if our speech is far from God, then our hearts are too. Now, an important tool for assessing our speech is wise counsel, particularly for mature Christians. Let's remember that, that fools hate and hide from wise words. So, quite pointedly, how many Christians that are mature in your life are able to give challenging words of wisdom to you because you invite that in your situation, because you seek that out? If the answer's not many, 
then Proverbs is encouraging us, this is not optional. This is essential for wise living in the Christian life. And one thing that we can do to step into that is step deeper into community. Um, we've, of course, got Tim in the lobby uh, with the community groups. That um, would be a great thing to plug into as they ramp up this fall. Bible studies going on. And as you step into them, don't just float along the surface. Go for coffee. Build relationships with people that can press into you so that you can have the life that comes from, from a wise relationship sharpening one another. If you are not currently having your words challenged, step into deeper community that can change that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So now we've examined foolish speech. It seeks selfish glory. It produces deadly conflict. Check. Now let's move on to the wise person and see what wise speech has. The big takeaway here is that wise speech produces life. It results in life. Uh, let's unpack this by asking our first question. How do the wise use their speech? A good example for me in wise speech is our Pastor Matt. I'm about, to say, uh, I'm about to say some very nice things about Matt. I figure I would level it out by giving you a picture of Matt from the 80s. <laughs> Great hair, Matt. Okay, uh, moving on. Apart from Matt's immediate family, uh, I might be the person that he spends the next most time counseling. All right? I, I'm his, uh, of course, he's my boss, uh, but he's also my main discipler. So I'm constantly pressing him, asking him for his take on things. I guess what I'm saying is, Matt hears me talk a lot. Like, like, like <laughs> heck, heckling during a sermon on foolish speech, Matt. Interesting, interesting choice. Okay, um, <laughs> uh, so we've got, we've got Matt who hears a lot from me, but I also hear a lot from Matt. And I like to, I like to understand how he approaches conversations so I can, I can learn from it. One thing that you'll pick up if you talk to Matt is if you tell him something, he tries not to respond to you right away. In fact, I find the more he disagrees with you, the slower he goes. Um, and, and he'll be genuinely inquisitive in his tone and he'll ask you a question. He's seeking to understand before he is trying to speak into the situation. And that posture, uh, especially as someone who has uh, a lot of bad ideas like myself, uh, I really appreciate that because I, I feel like he's seeking to get where I'm coming from and he seeks to gain knowledge on the situation before he seeks to promote knowledge in my life by speaking wisdom in, right? Take in before he puts out. This is, this is so tied to how the wise use their speech to gain wisdom and promote wisdom. These are the two major guiding principles of wise speech. First, looking at how wise people use speech to gain wisdom. In James 1.19, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Clearly, the, the impulses of the wise person skew towards listening over talking. The words that they prioritize are not their own. We see this bent towards listening in our passage further, right? So in Proverbs 18, 15, it says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The contrast between the, the fool and the wise, it, it should jump out at us here again. See, the fool primarily desires glory. 
So they primarily use their tongue. The wise person desires knowledge, so they primarily use their ears. Above all, wise people make their tongue serve their ears. And that, that humble posture of heart plays out by them asking lots of questions. Wise people, they ask questions so that they can, they can understand. They ask questions so they can plan well. They ask questions so that they can get good advice, unlike the fool who hides from wise words. But more important than anything else, the wise person asks questions so that they can learn from the source of all wisdom, God himself. It says here in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Romans 11, 33 to 36 trumpets the ultimate wisdom of God when Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways or his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. It is easy to be humbled before this magnificent God when we remember that we have nothing he didn't give. We know nothing he doesn't know. So to him be glory, not us. If, if we want wise desires, that only comes from listening to the infinitely wise words of God. And once we gain wisdom, we must promote it. We must share it. Proverbs 15.2 says this clearly. The tongue of the wise commends, promotes knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Tri-City Church, fools promote themselves. The wise promote wisdom. And whether that's sharing from the word of God or, or insights that has been shaped by it, promoting what is pleasing to God and is good for the soul, that is the talk of the wise. So that's how the wise use speech. They use it to gain and promote wisdom. And now let's ask, what is the result of wise speech? Well, the answer is that they have life, just like our text says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So what is the, the nature of this life? Well, it's the opposite of death. And as we learned, since death is conflict with others, but ultimately conflict with God leads to eternal death. And so life on the flip side, it, it's peace with others and ultimately peace with God that leads to that eternal life. Isn't this clear when we think of friends groups that speak in foolish and wise ways, right? A, a friend group that is characterized by, by bitterness and lying and slander. That friend group doesn't seem to be very well. And, and the friend group that, that does and is peaceable, aren't they characterized by honest, encouraging, humble speech? Right? If we talk to the first group, 
that has a lot of relationships that sound like they're dying. And, and that second group, those relationships sound alive and well. That, that peace and that life is evidenced in, in any uh, set of relationships, most especially our relationship with God. So, so let's look at the, the lively speech of the wise then. A wise speech promotes life in a few ways. Firstly, uh, wise words give us peace with God. And secondly, wise words give us, now that wise speech with God inspires wise speech that gives us peace with other people. Uh, let's start by looking at how wise speech gives us peace with God. Uh, James 3, 2 says this, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We know that we aren't perfect. We know that we stumble and have sinned with our speech and with what we've done. And we know that leads to death. But did you also know that words can lead to life? That is possible through words of confession. All you need to do to inherit eternal life is to ask God to save you from your foolishness and give you a heart that loves him. Like Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from your folly. Now, how, how does that work? Well, God saw all of us stranded in conflict and the conflict we were born into and the conflict that we constantly stir up. And he made a way for us out of that conflict into a life that knows the peace of God. And that way that he made was that he took the consequences of our folly on himself. In Jesus' crucifixion, he died the death of a fool so that we wouldn't have to. So that by faith in his perfect life and death and resurrection, faith in his sacrifice and his lordship, we can have the peace with God that only he deserves, but that he gives to us, right? If you confess words of genuine belief that Jesus is your hope, then you will be saved from conflict with God and eternal death. The, the, the thing though about meaningful confession if we're being honest, is, is that it's hard. It's hard because we have to admit things that we don't want to remember. In, uh, in 2015, uh, a woman named Melody Casson uh, confessed to a crime that she had shouldered for 50 years. In 1963, she was a 15-year-old mother of a baby boy named Wayne. Uh, and the pressures of teenage motherhood uh, and of Wayne constantly crying, uh, they were a lot. And, and how she responded to those, those pressures was um, she killed Wayne. She suffocated him. And uh, when the police asked her what had happened, she said that she rolled over in her sleep and, and accidentally suffocated him. They believed her. And, and for the next 50 years, this continued to eat away at Melody. Uh, eventually, she, uh, she, she had to confess. She had to tell somebody. So she, she told those closest to her because it was eating her up. And some of those closest to her were extremely angry with her. Others told those upset to let sleeping dogs lie. They tried to manufacture a peace, but Melody, she knew it was fake. She, it, it, it couldn't actually give her 
the hope and the peace that she was needing. So she turned herself in. She confessed to the authorities. And Melody's case is telling for all of us, isn't it? We've, we've all done things. I don't know what they are for you, but we've all done things that haven't seen the light of day. And we know that confessing them is hard, but it is necessary if we were to have any peace after what we've done. It's important to know, Melody didn't end up going to jail, but that doesn't mean that what she did in confessing and then being pardoned, that, that gave her peace. She felt what she knew was wrong because it wasn't the judge. It wasn't up to them to decide to fully partner in that way because frankly, the biggest wrong wasn't done to the state. It, it wasn't even done to her son. She knew there was something just wrong done and that's because all wrongdoing is primarily done against the definition of good, against God himself. He is the judge that we need forgiveness from. He is the judge that we need to confess to. And we can have peace because the consequences of any crime, as big as melodies or whatever you have done, they have been taken by Jesus in his crucifixion. So if you confess to God that you, you are done with your foolishness and you want to know him, he is faithful and just to forgive you in the name of Jesus. He will give peace to your soul that you've never known, life to the full. These are words of life. And once we have peace with God, we are given new hearts by a spirit. And out of those spirit-filled hearts flows life-giving speech. And that life-giving speech is, is peaceful talk with other people. And that's the second kind of wise speech that wise people give themselves to. Now, it's important to realize that God gave you this book, the book of Proverbs and the book of the Bible overall. He gave it to you so that you could know his will for your life, so that you could walk in the way that is best for you and for those around you. And as we learn more about God's will for our speech, we realize it is life-giving for us and for our relationships. Proverbs 21, 18 says, says this, there is one, a foolish person, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When a, a fool scars people with a weaponized tongue, the wise bring healing with their words. Think about how different that is. For example, what is your reaction when someone comes to you with hard consequences, with hardship, after they disobeyed your advice? What's your reaction? Are you dragging their nose in it? Are you gloating? Or, or are you praying with them? And are you weeping with them? What can your family and your friends, even your enemies, what can they expect of you in times like those? Is it an ointment or is it a sword? Is it words of life or are they words of death? Even if we are to speak correction, we are not to speak them in such a way that neglects seasoning our words with grace. That is what we are called to. Wise people speak peaceably with others, whatever the subject matter. And, and of course, the greatest peace that we can bring to others with our words is the message of life itself, the good news of the gospel. 
Like we heard Jesus say earlier in Luke 6.45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The good treasure of our hearts is Jesus. And so we will speak of his abundant mercy. We will speak of our good, abundant treasure. Like Jesus commands us in Mark 16, 15, he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The good news that we speak, the wise words of our lips is that there is a way to life and peace and his name is Jesus. That is what we speak. And as we are filled by his spirit, that message is spoken with life-giving power for God's glory not ours. I want to close our time in speech by remembering the Apostle Paul's hope for the Colossian church and really for all Christians in all churches, including ours. Let's see how he calls us to treasure God's word, how he calls us to build each other up with our words, and how he calls us to thankfully worship God with everything our lips can muster. Let's close by looking at Colossians 3, 15 to 17. And, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom speaking or singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Tri-City, where have we been treasuring our words instead of the words of the God who set us free? How much of our speech is thanking, promoting, and loving him? And what do we need to say this week? to those in our homes, in the world, in our church? What do we need to say to them to build them up in the way that God has called us to love them? Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. But our hearts and lips treasure the wise word of life. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, help us to not underestimate our speech. Let our tongues reveal and shape hearts that love you. Jesus resisted Satan's temptation by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, we live by feasting on and speaking your word, the incarnate word that saved us, the written word that guides us. Bless us now, God, by your spirit with great favor to enjoy your word more than ours and to trust your will for our lives, whatever that is. We ask this because humble prayer is always wise speech. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.